Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where we learn all about building resilience in ourselves and helping others build it too. We draw from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching to help you face change and adversity and do more than just survive. We want you to thrive. We are your hosts, Heather Stables and Leah Davidson, and we are certified life coaches and speech language pathologists. We will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and become the very best version of yourself, version 2.0. Let's get started. This is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 34, Thinking Traps, with your hosts, Heather Stables and Leah Davidson. Hello, hello, everybody. We're so excited to be back talking more about thinking traps. So last week, we introduced the concept of what a thinking trap was, and we talked about a big one, which is all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking. Also, if you have listened to some of our videos or caught us live on Facebook or Instagram, then you might have caught a video where I introduced the idea of thinking traps a couple of weeks ago. And if you're not in our Building Resilience private Facebook group, you might want to join because we've got a lot of posts all about them in there. Um, we did for a while every Thursday. We did Thinking Trap Thursday. So that's called the Building Resilience Club. So make sure that you're part of that. But today and next episode, we are going to take you through some of the most common thinking traps. I kind of like to think of it. They're like the main characters or the supporting actors and actresses (laughs) in your life movie. So I'm dying to know which ones are popular in your movie, Heather. So we're going to try to keep these podcasts a little bit shorter. I don't know. Every time I say that it seems to go long as we talk about these thinking traps so we'll see how it goes okay so firstly let's backtrack a bit i want to introduce the four principles that researchers karen rivich and andrew chate say that their work on resilience is based on and these are the tenets that provide the foundations for the skills of resilience that's right so they basically come up with like four concepts that they say this is this is what resilience is built on and the first one is the idea that life change is possible and this really is the concept that people are able to change their lives and this is sort of a newer concept for people it used to be that we thought that humans were bound by sort of the fallout of their early childhood by their genes and that lasting change was not possible and research has now shown that we do have the ability to change our lives and so that old saying of you can't teach a dog old dog dog new tricks is not very accurate because we know, especially I'd say in the past decade, almost two, learning so much more about neuroplasticity. I know I've been a speech path for over two decades and we didn't talk much about it at the beginning, but certainly in the past 10 to 15 years, the concept of neuroplasticity has become much more studied, more well-known, more mainstream, that people do have the understanding that you can change your brain. And we've got a whole podcast on neuroplasticity. It's episode episode 14. So if you haven't heard that, you might want to backtrack and listen to that too. That leads us to the second foundation, and this is thinking. This is another way to boost our resilience. Now, there's evidence to support the importance of our thoughts. We know this, and we know that what we believe factors in with our mindset. Our thoughts and emotions are at the core of who we are, and they really represent our reality in life. And so the skills that we can learn about from how we think, that's one of the foundations of how we build resilience. 
That's right. And so thinking is important, but not just any old thinking. It's very specifically accurate thinking. So the notion of realistic thinking is important, but we've talked about the idea that we're not very good at accurate thinking. So what happens is we collect a whole bunch of information through all our senses, and then we use shortcuts to process that information. And those shortcuts can lead to biases that we have. And we make assessments and appraisals, and we make errors and interpretations that will often support what we want to think. So we actually have to be aware that this is going on in our thinking, that our thinking can be flawed, that we have all sorts of subconscious thoughts going on, all sorts of biases going on, all sorts of past learning, and that's what shape our belief and thoughts. So while we may think that all our thoughts are true, they're actually not. So thinking is important, but accurate thinking is more important. The fourth foundation to building resilience is a focus on strengths. Now, this is where positive psychology was created, and it's a movement that has two goals. The first is to increase the understanding of human strengths throughout the development of classification systems and methods to measure those strengths. And the second is to infuse this knowledge into effective programs designed to build participant strengths rather than focusing on their weaknesses. So basically, it's just it's focusing on strengths instead of weaknesses. Now, psychology was all about, before positive psychology was created, it was all about the problems people have and how to fix them. So we think of like a bell curve or a continuum, and this was from negative five to zero. Now, positive psychology and coaching is all about learning how to move forward from zero to plus five. So we focus on what you can do and what is within your power. That's right. And so these are all the pillars that resilience stands on. And according to Rivik and Shade, there are ways to develop resilience skills, and they divide them into sort of two broad categories. And the first category is what they call know thyself. And they're basically skills that are designed to guide you towards better understanding of how your mind works to help you build self-awareness. Because if you haven't heard us say it before, we'll say it again. Self-awareness is huge. It is so important. If you do nothing else but become more aware of yourself, your thoughts, your emotions, your beliefs, I mean, that in itself will change your life. But the second group of skills that they talked about is called the change skills because they say that insight and awareness is not enough. It's great. It's an excellent place to start. And like I said, you can just increase your awareness. You'll see your life change. But really, you do need to do more. We actually need to change and implement what we are learning about ourselves. All right. As part of the know thyself skills, those are the skills designed to help you gain a better understanding of yourself and increase self-awareness. We're going to talk about thinking traps. And it may have seemed that we've deviated a bit by talking about these principles or pillars, but we're back full circle to the thinking traps now. That's right. Yeah, we wanted to just give a little baseline as to what the pillars of resilience are. And like I was talking about earlier, the idea of accurate thinking that comes into play with thinking traps, because we know that humans are super smart and we're able to take in much more information through our five senses than our brains are actually able to compute. So what our brain does, because it's super smart, is it simplifies the information that comes in. So we'll cut corners and make shortcuts in our thinking to try to manage this overload of stimulation. And because we do this, we're not necessarily getting a direct readout of the exact world and our thoughts and our beliefs about the world, they become vulnerable to error. So we end up making these fairly 
really predictable mistakes over and over again as we try to make sense of the world. And some of the thinking traps really can impact our ability to become more resilient. And that's why we want to talk about them and highlight them today. Okay, so thinking traps, there are a ton of them. And we're going to go over some of them with you in this podcast and then some of them with you in the next podcast. Now, you probably have already seen last week's episode. If you haven't, check it out. And that was all about all or nothing thinking. But I want to give you a warning. Don't get all freaked out. You might have some of these traps. It's okay. We all have them. (laughs) Very human. We're just humaning. So your brain is efficient. We should call them really the human Human traps. traps. (laughs) So your brain is efficient and actually thinks it's doing you a huge favor by having these shortcuts. But don't get all down on yourself if it seems like you have several or all. Like I said, we all do. And if you remember last week, we explained thinking traps or as psychologists often refer to them as cognitive distortions. Here's a little bit of a recap. They are biased perspectives we take on about ourselves and the world around us. So they are irrational thoughts and beliefs that we unknowingly reinforce over time. We create these patterns of thinking and often they are super simple and super subtle. So it's easy to miss them. You might not notice that you have them, but you do and it's okay. But it's good to try to identify them because you can't change what you can't see, right? And once you see it, you can't unsee it. So remember, the goal is awareness. You can start to see which ones you fall prey to more frequently which ones seem to bring on the most challenges for you. So get really curious. Which ones do you lean towards? Which ones are your go-tos, your favorites even? (laughs) That's right, we have favorites. What are your favorites? I know some of my favorites. They're they're my go-tos. I'm not sure if they're the ones that I would choose, but they're the ones my brain seems to love. And we want to identify these thinking traps because a lot of them actually have been linked to things like depression and anxiety. So for your own mental health, you do really want to get curious about what traps you fall prey to. So today we're going to give you five new thinking traps. But before we get started, let's give you a recap of all or nothing thinking or black and white thinking because it's one of our favorites. And it deserves totally. a little bit more attention because I think this is one I probably talk about the most with my clients. So that's why we devoted a whole episode. But let's just recap it for today. All or nothing thinking. I star in this movie 100%. This is my uh, my primary actor, main actor, supporting <laughs> cast, all of it. This is the movie. Everybody, director, <laughs> <Yeah>. writer. <laughs> okay. So many of us like all or nothing thinking. Why? Well, it's easy for your brain. It's either one way or the other way. And and that is more comfortable than sitting in the shades of gray in between. The shades of ambiguity, uncertainty, possibility. It feels kind of good to feel like we're in the right spot. That's the upside. Here's the downside. The problem is there is no black or white, good or bad when it comes to humans. We like to think that there's this way or that way, but the real power lies in the and. We are all good and bad. There is this way and that way succeeding and failing. We can find ourselves falling into the all or nothing trap often when we're trying to accomplish something. Yes. If I can't get it done, I might as well not get started. Uh Uh-huh. If it's not perfect, it's terrible. If we have a fight, we can no longer be friends. If you make a mistake, you're worthless. If I ate the slice of cake when I said I wouldn't, I might as well eat the whole cake. Now that one, I think you might as well eat the whole cake. (laughs) (laughs) If you can't stay the whole night, then don't bother coming over. And if you can't run the 5K, well, sit back and turn on some Netflix. 
That's right. So it's totally one way or the other. It's my way or the highway, your way or the highway. There's no compromise. There's no in between. And all or nothing really puts a lot of pressure on you. You have to be one way or the other. There's nothing in between. So where does that leave you if you make a mistake or you want to try something new that you're not good at or you want to grow or change or evolve? The problem with all or nothing thinking is it keeps you confined to your way. You can't entertain the idea that you might be wrong and you may actually miss the opportunity to grow and learn and evolve. So you want to shift that a little bit. There is good and bad in the world, black and white, right and wrong a little and a lot. So don't be afraid to let your brain try these things out. Don't do things perfectly. Do something instead of trying to do everything. And you'll be amazed at how much you'll grow and learn along the way with so much less stress. Like I need to keep re-listening to this part because my brain, even though as I'm sharing this with you, my brain goes right to all or nothing thinking so frequently. It's, it's a big, big trap of mine. Mine too. (laughs) Okay, so that's number two, jumping to conclusions. This is where you might automatically jump to a conclusion without checking the facts. You make assumptions and even automatically believe something with great certainty. According to Karen Rivick and Andrew Chate, it's kind of an umbrella error since all of the thinking traps involve making an assumption of one sort or another. Yeah, so it's true that we may get gut feelings and follow our intuition. And there are some situations where we do just act based on feelings without checking in on our thoughts and verifying our facts. However, it is recommended to treat your gut feelings and your intuition as a theory that you can test out as opposed to a foregone conclusion and fact. Take some time to ask yourself if you have a tendency of jumping to conclusions. If so, is it with certain people or certain kinds of people, maybe someone of authority? People who jump to conclusions often act or speak impulsively. Take a few minutes to check in with yourself and ask if there are any other possible reasons. You know, gather a bit more data and sometimes it's helpful to find explanations in charity. Mm -hmm. That was always a big thing that I used to tell my kids, like whenever they would bring something up, oh, so-and-so did this and -and so-and-so did that. I would say, oh, find explanations in charity. And I remember one time driving and getting really annoyed at somebody who was, you know, weaving in and out of lanes and I made some rude comment about it. And my kids were like, find explanations in charity, mom. Maybe they're on their way to the hospital to visit a dying relative. Maybe they need to get home because they've just found out that something bad. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) But it is true. Instead of just jumping to conclusions that somebody is this way or that way, find the explanation in charity. So the third trap that we are often exposed to is called tunnel vision. And tunnel vision is where you're so focused on one aspect of a situation. It's often directed towards negative outcomes too. So it's kind of like seeking out all the details, the proof, the scenarios, and registering only those things that support this vision that you have. So you may not even notice things that are contrary to your idea. And having tunnel vision can often bring about negative actions that you are actually fearing. Now, tunnel vision can also work with positive things, but not in a good way. You can be so focused on the positive thing that you want that you don't notice the red flags. I think that happens to us sometimes with relationships. Like we so want to be focused on certain relationships that there may be red flags 
flags in front of us and we just choose to ignore them because we want the relationship to work out. So be careful that you're not focusing so hard on what you already think because you can create the negative outcome that you're trying so hard to avoid or you could end up missing red flags that you need to be paying attention to. So look around you, check your blind spots, have other people help you check your blind spots too. That can be super helpful with tunnel vision because often other people can see the red flags that we can't. Number four. Next up, magnifying and minimizing. Okay, so we just talked about tunnel vision where you narrow your view and have a one-track mind. Magnifiers and minimizers will register and take in what events are happening around them, but they tend to overvalue some and undervalue others. Now, if they magnify the negative and minimize the positive, they may end up undervaluing relationships and overall success and drown in negativity. Negativity tends to zap energy and effectiveness. Negativity not only will impact relationships, it's a real mood kill, but it slows creativity, problem solving, and flexibility. However, if they magnify the positive and minimize the negative, they may underestimate the real need for life change. It can be equally destructive to your health and personal relationships because you're not able to take stock of situations accurately and take the necessary steps for growth and change. Do you have areas in your life where you minimize or maximize? I totally do. Of course I do. Doesn't everybody? I think a lot of these ones we all do. This one, I am positive that I do, and I'm pretty sure you do too, and I'm pretty sure that everybody listening does as well. It is mind reading. I'm not even going to tell you what it is because everybody's going to read my mind. <laughs> know what it is. Just kidding. Mind reading is a habitual thinking pattern characterized by assuming that others can interpret what we're thinking without telling them or assuming that we can interpret what they're thinking without them telling us. Telepathy. Um, that's right. It's channeling your inner Oda May. Mm. And the killers of that amazing song. Are you going to sing it for us, Heather? Oh, can you read my mind? Love it. Sadly, the answer is often, no, I can't read your mind. So you need to tell me exactly what you want. I love that song. I love the killers. Anyhow, our minds are brilliant at filtering out the positive and focusing on the negative. That's our negativity bias. And this goes back to remembering the one question you got wrong on the exam, remembering and forgetting the 99% that you got right. So our minds are brilliant at filtering out the positive and focusing on the negative. That's like our negativity bias. So when we're mind reading, we will tend to put a negative spin on anything. So, you know, we'll text somebody and they don't text us back. And we make all these assumptions about what we think must be happening, what they must be thinking. So we also personalize others' actions as if they have something, usually negative, to do with us. If a coworker is minimally conversant, we assume it was something we said or did rather than the lousy bean burrito they had for lunch. Or the classic, <laughs> when someone is responding to your text and then they stop typing, it's that dreaded dot, dot, dot. We think, oh no. Oh no. And the risk is we or others draw inaccurate conclusions from inaccurate assumptions. And this is the classic case of a communication breakdown. Mind reading can wreak havoc with our mood, leading us to feel anxious and not to mention stress. And it just contributes negatively to our relationships. Yeah, I think mind reading is is probably 
one trap that really erode a relationship because we can spend a lot of time building up resentment and making up stories in our mind about what we think the other person thinks or making up stories that we think they should know what we think and they're making their choices based on knowing full well what I want or what I think. So I think it's one that we have to be very, very careful with when we are in relationships. Now, the last one that we're going to talk about today is fortune telling. And this is predicting a negative outcome for a situation without really carefully considering the actual odds of that outcome. And I think Brene Brown had the best example. She said that um, when a taxi arrived to take her to the airport to catch a flight when she was supposed to be on Oprah for an interview, she started walking towards it and then she stopped. And she turned around and she went back into the house and she told her husband that it was very likely she wouldn't make it back home. I love Brene Brown. She's just so awesome. And she said it was because because the interview was just too good to be true. So some disaster was going to have to strike to prevent it from happening. And in the event that she didn't make it home, this is so cute. She expressed that she would want him to remarry. And she directed him to a list of all the people he was not to marry. (laughs) I just thought that was so classic. (laughs) But many people do this with job prospects and new relationships, flights, any kind of travel, vacations, holiday gatherings. I will actually admit that when I met my husband and a lot of my close friends will know this, I thought I didn't even actually want to go on a second date with him. When people called me and said, how was your date? I was like, it was awesome. They're like, when are you seeing him again? I actually told one girlfriend, I'm not. And she was like, what? And I said, no, he was too nice, too good to be true. It's not going to work out. Anyhow, we laugh at that this day. She brings it up. But even after I was dating him and we were engaged and everything, I went and I saw my counselor that I had seen during my divorce because I was very much trapped in the idea of fortune telling that this was going really well in my life. And I was struggling because I was like, for sure, something bad is going to happen. I'm just constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was able to work through that. But my husband and I have a big joke. I'm always we've been married 13 years now. And I'm still joking with him just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, when's it going to happen? <laughs> so you know, I joke about it. But I do have to say, I think it is a trap that we often fall into. All right. So that's what we have for you today. Just to sum up, we talked about the four foundations of building resilience, as well as six common thinking traps. The first being all or nothing thinking. The second being jumping to conclusions. The third tunnel vision. The fourth magnifying and minimizing. And the fifth mind reading and the last one fortune telling so i hope that you've enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for next week's it's part two on thinking traps have a great week thank you for listening to the building resilience podcast if you are interested in a little bit of weekly motivation want to be kept in the know about upcoming free classes and resources new podcast episodes and other ways of working with us please go subscribe to our weekly email. You can subscribe at www.hl-lifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Again, that's www.hl-lifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you again soon.